Hey guys, this is John Karabi, and you're listening to Focus on Metal. Turn it up, strap yourself in, and get ready for the stories, baby. Yep. Hey, Metalheads, welcome to yet another episode of Focus on Metal. And uh, after about, what, I think a month or so, I uh, finally got Richie back in the studio. I'm busy. Yeah. I've been really busy. That's the... Luck going on in our lives. Optimum word there, busy. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But I uh, do want to say I, I appreciate all the interviews you've been pulling in and uh, keeping the show going, so uh, that's greatly appreciated. And uh, another great one this week as uh, you sat down with uh, John Karabi again. Yeah, well, I didn't get him the last time. You you interviewed him. I couldn't get down. Well, so, that's that's true. That's true. <laughs> wow. I so, about that. Yeah. So it was. Yeah. Li- li- I texted you a couple of questions about Little Mountain. Uh, we were talking about the Motley Crue album he did there, and um, but I never got down for it. I never got a chance to that's talk right. to him. That's right. Yeah. So so what's happening these days is I can do interviews. We normally do the interviews down here. Yeah. But now I can do the. I don't have to do them all down here and. The way we way it was happening with work and everything and, you know, life was getting in the way and all that was we couldn't schedule interviews before, say, eight yeah. at night, right? Yeah. To say we can definitely do it. Because we didn't want to say, oh, yeah, we can do it at 6.30 and then, you know, right. fuck. Yeah. You know, because then that gets a bad reputation and, you know, the PR companies aren't going to touch you. So yep. trying to schedule guys at eight o'clock at night is hard. Because oh, yeah. they want to do it during the day. Yeah. So now I can kind of do it during the day on my lunch break. I can flex yeah. it a little bit. And um, I've been getting some good ones. And, oh, yeah. you know, if, like uh, that's why a lot of the interviews in the last, say, three or four weeks are, have been all me. Yeah. Because I've been doing them during the day. For now, it's, it's yeah, it's it's kind of busy, a little bit crazy. Schedule's a little bit messed up. But, um, yeah, we still keep kicking them out um, once a week, amazingly. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's been... It's been weird actually doing all the interviews myself. I don't mind doing them, but you know, I, I for the four years I've been nearly on the show, I've done yeah. every interview down here. Yeah, with you. Yeah, either you've either you've let me do it or or we've done it together. Yeah, and now I'm I'm doing them on my own, and it's like you know, you just get used to the environment that you do it in. Maybe I, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I'm, I'm rambling. No, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I mean, obviously, you know. Got John on talking about the new uh, the new Dead Daisies uh, live set, which mm-hmm. was very cool. Um, and uh, I know I was pretty psyched about that coming out. And I mean, it took a while from the time they announced it to when it it finally dropped. And actually, it took a while for when they announced it to when you could actually pre order it. That was that was enough of a gap. But uh, but it is out and uh, great stuff. And and uh, you know, got the deluxe one with the CD and the DVD. So. Uh, good stuff there. I mean, everything that they do is great, anyways. Well, I like the Dead Daisies. Yeah, um, I li- I, it's not just because I'm a fan of the musicians in the band, but um, I think they're, they'll make some noise. Is great. Yeah, real seventy sound and hard rock album. Sure. And uh, I think when we had Doug on, I even said it to him that this stuff is going to sound killer live. Right. Because it's it's you know you listen to it, it's like seventies right. Aerosmith or something like that. It's going to sound brilliant in a yeah. in a theater or yeah. you know or an arena when because I know they supported Kiss on a lot of shows last year. Right. But um, I wanted to get John on yeah. and uh, talk about it, and 
I did not ask him one Motley Crue question. I deliberately didn't want to yeah. go there because yeah. I reckon every interview he's doing, I'm sure he's been asked about yeah, it. I'm sure. Now he did bring it up himself, yeah, but he didn't bring it up because I asked him about it. Yeah, he's uh, usually pretty gracious about that, anyway. So, yeah. yeah. Well, he was really he was really good at the end of it because yeah. he kept, he wanted to. When I actually said it to him at yeah. the end. I didn't ask a motley question. I said, no, no, you can ask him if you want. I was like, no, no, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking wanted to. <laughs> yeah. So obviously I, we've also been out and about and uh, hitting some shows. And, uh, you know, last week we had Eric and Robert on from Warrant. And, uh, you know, you and I went up to see them at the, the Hampton Beach Casino. I mean, that was kind of an odd little thing of like uh, they were doing a tour, but not really a tour. They were getting ready for another tour. Um, well, it was kind of f- odd, but they did a great show. Oh, they're great. Um, I've never seen... Uh, Warrant, never seen Robert. Yeah. Um, so it was a twofer for me. Uh-huh. I was, I've always been a big fan of Robert's voice. I yeah. love the Lynch Mob album he did. And uh, I've been a big fan of Warrant. I think um, uh, they've, they've a lot of music that, you know, that's underappreciated. Um, yeah. You know, the Dog Eat Dog album's great. And uh, the Letter Had a Fast album, the new album's really good. Mm-hmm. Rockaholic was very strong. Uh, but of course, people remember him for the MTV stuff. Right. And the set was... Full of that. Oh yeah, I thought yeah. a little bit top heavy in with it for me, but they did play "Hole in My Wall" from Dog Eat Dog, and they did play um, a couple of songs from the new one. Yeah, and Dusty's Revenge, I thought was brilliant from Rockaholic. I'm and glad it was they interesting that. too. And I mean, you know, Robert brought it up in the in when you talked to him, but the fact that I mean, even when he came out, he was talking about the fact that he was like sick as a dog, and he did a great job. You, you wouldn't have known you, it. No, you wouldn't have known. You know, he did a he did a, a really superb job, and. Uh, yeah, put on a great show. You know, it is interesting, you know, when you listen to it, though, because, um, I mean, Robert's a phenomenal freaking singer. He just is. And when you hear him live, though, and he's singing some of the stuff that Janie used to sing, you do realize how unique a vocalist that Janie was, because as good as Robert is, it's hard for him to to get that melody laid down the way that, that, that Janie did it. It's um, So it's... It's interesting. It's just interesting, vo- you know, the way that he vocalized it and stuff. And and I was really listening to that, not so much to to like be critical, but just oh, how's he going to handle this? And you know, and he did a great job. But I I think most people will probably just didn't even notice. Mm. But uh, it, it is it it says a lot for um, kind of what what Janie brought to the band and and the vocals that he did. That it's he's kind of a unique vocalist. Yeah, Janie. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. There's certain singers that have identifiable voices. And I yeah. think Janie was probably one of them. Yeah. Um he's he wasn't a brilliant singer, but you knew it was him. Yeah. Like he was and he was he was a great songwriter as well. Like those those songs are fantastic. Oh sure. Yeah. And yeah. uh Robert how long has Robert been singing with him now? Ten it must be ten years or more. It must I be. I don't remember. I think it's I think it's about ten years. On Could and be. off. So yeah. you know, he's what he He's he's always been the guy that follows the guy, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hasn't he? He followed Oni, and then he followed. He did, yeah, yeah, but he never had to have a lyric book <laughs> opened up by his monitor. <laughs> yeah, and then the second uh, Cry of Love album he did, I can't remember the name of the singer on the debut, but he followed him. Yeah, and then he, of course, he followed. You could say he followed Jamie St. James, but he followed Janie really. Yeah, but he's Warren. he's he's yeah, he is a phenomenal vocalist. Did a great job, and then I gotta say too that. I wasn't expecting a lot from uh, Dawkins that night. I wasn't, and they, he kind of got off to a rocky start. Okay, here, let, let's get into it, right? Let's talk about the sound guy. Come on. 
you you're you're big into audio and everything. Right. What what happened? Oh, yeah. Well, obviously whenever we go to the show, if we're not like in back or whatever, then I, I like to stand next to the sound guy. So we stood next to the sound guy. And he had a fantastic system. They had a fantastic system for both bands. Really good. And you knew that he, he could do what he needed to do because Warren sounded really good. And it was the same guy that mixed both bands. And Warren sounded really good. Um, but then Dawkins came on. And all of a sudden he had to just keep messing with EQ and messing with EQ and messing with EQ. And... Said so the board they had was really nice, so I could look over and I could see what the EQ curve, what he was doing, and he just kept bringing up more highs and bringing up more highs and trying to put more highs into Don's vocals, and at the same time, like everything else, like stayed at the same volume, which was driving me crazy too. So Levin came out and he's just, just ripping the solo and doing a great job of it, and you can't hear it. For a song, yeah, you know, Paris is Burning. Well, I mean, all of them. He, he, there was like, there was no, you know, usually if the guitarist doesn't have a boost in the, and he just hits there and hits, hits his boost to give him a volume boost, you expect that the guy doing the mix is going to bump it up. And, and, you know, when Joey did stuff on Warrant and he was, he bit them up a little bit. But on Dawkins, he just, he didn't. And it was just a real shame because John was doing a great job on, on, uh, on guitar that night. And, uh, oh, he's phenomenal. Yeah. He is a phenomenal player. And, and uh, you know, Chris, I mean, yeah, Chris got his little solo spot, so you really got to hear what he could do. But otherwise, it was, you know, the only, the, the other thing that would ever get bumped is whenever uh, whenever Mick would start talking. It was probably, didn't even bump him up. It was just, Mick just got that voice and he just, like, blasted it into the microphone. But, yeah, just, uh, the, the mix just wasn't, well, here, wasn't good. Here's my take on that I'm, I'm a big fan of the classic metal show yeah right and you know I am yeah and Chris Aiken and Neely are they know Don really well sure yeah and they've had Don on the show and over time Don has talked about sound guys fucking up uh -huh. his, 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 his gig right yeah and uh, so I'm actually at the gig with you yeah and the guy starts fucking it up and I, and I can actually see Don and I'm thinking to myself oh my god because <laughs> I've heard him talk about all this yeah because normally what happens with, with bands that do fly-in shows, they mightn't bring the sound guy with them. Yeah. They'll just deal with the guy who's at the venue because, of course, it's extra money yeah. that yeah. they got to pay the sound guy if they got to bring him to all the gigs. Yeah. And um, you could see Don. Don came out, started singing Paris is Burning, and the minute it went into the solo, he was <laughs> off at the side of the stage and the finger was jabbing to someone at the side of you. Fucking get down there and <laughs> and then of course he'd come back out and smile and play the song and then it'd happen again and yeah. John would rip into a solo and he'd walk off the site and I was watching Don and uh -huh. he he was getting fucking pissed off and I was thinking to myself oh my god the classic metal show guys are gonna uh -huh. fuck if they find out about this they're just yeah. gonna laugh but it was funny because I mean the guy knows what he's doing Warren sounded really good and I, and so. To have the mix change that drastically from one band to the next it was like, what the? So, you know, I don't know if they sound checked earlier in the day and his settings for docking just, they were at it. And obviously the temperature was changing drastically over time that day too. That does make a difference on the sound. But, oh yeah, it just watching him try to struggle to, to get all that balanced, it, it it sucked. This yeah. must have gone on for at least half the set. Yeah. Because the sound did get better. 
And then something had happened, like, or you'd have some, like, eep, that uh-huh. had come over the sound system. Yeah. And I was like, oh, you just don if you walk off the side of the stage, and you'd be like, what the fuck? Well, is going yeah, on? I mean, there's only so much you can keep adding with highs, because then you start, you get your 16K in there, you get too much of that. You're, you're going to get feedback. It's, it's just, it's waiting for it. Yeah. And, uh, but I mean, talking were good. Despite the sound, as the set went on, like the first, like you said, Paris's burning was, was rough. And it was like, oh, like, I almost felt bad for Don. But then as the set went on, I think two things happened. They, they, they seemed to warm up, but also Don seemed to relax. Because remember when he, came, when he first came out, it was almost like, it was almost like, oh man, it's Don the asshole. But then by halfway through the set, he was like joking and just laughing about shit. Telling and, stories. Yeah. Telling stories. And, 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 and it got much better after that. I just, thought vocally he sounded better than I expected. Yeah. Um, he struggled on the likes of Kiss of Death and, and those sort of songs. Uh-huh. He struggled a little bit on it. But um, The beginning of Mad Hatter. Yeah. Mad Hatter. And and I, like, I love oh, that. The, oh, I, the, the song is awesome. Oh, but, they, but, when that, they but that acapella that. stuff in the beginning was like, oh, that's rough. Yeah, but yeah. They, they played... Um, Will the sunrise? That was, was great like, too. Holy shit! Yeah, that was good. They pulled out some stuff that was like too wow, high to fly. Really nice, yeah. John Levin did a solo on "Too High to Fly." It was like holy shit! Yeah, like that. That's the showcase song. I think the "Life in the Sun" uh, CD and DVD with Red Beach. That's yeah. the one where he gets to go off. So that's one of the yeah. reasons it's in the set. But, but they good. like. But they did. A, I mean, don't close your eyes. They played as well from Tooth and Nail. It was like yeah. holy crap. Yeah, you know, like I said, the set was varied. And it was that very was, good. That was really good. It was very it was good. Varied. Yeah. Yeah, they didn't uh, didn't play anything recent though. No broken bone stuff. No lightning strikes again stuff. Um, yeah. you know, I suppose they can't play everything. They can't play. I mean, it's that's a no, pretty big. Thank ass God, catalog. no shadow life stuff. <laughs> 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 but um, disappointing crowd. I'll be honest. Yeah, I know. I know it's um, was it the end of April? Yeah, um, Thursday night, right? On a Thursday, night? yeah, Thursday night. night. Yeah. Um, you know, Docking and Warrant, two really good bands on one bill for what thirty dollars. Yeah, and uh, the place is probably half full. Yeah, it's kind of disappointing to be honest. Yeah, well, again, weeknight. I think a lot of people still don't even realize that casinos open in April. I think that o- that's open all year round now. I think more or less. We I saw. I don't think we saw Queens like in November or December. Yeah, there. I mean, I think January, February. I think they don't. It, it gets tougher up there. Can't guarantee the weather. Yeah, and I mean, you know, it's like a big open ceiling. It's it's. I mean, for the longest time, they didn't even have any heat in that place. So, oh fuck. <laughs> That's why it used to be yeah. summer only. Yeah. Even there wasn't even any AC. It was just you know, open the doors and cross your fingers. Right on the ocean with yeah. no heat. Yeah. No, no thanks. But uh, but it was good. I went to a gig. I don't think I told you. I went at the very last minute. I went up to see Joel and Turner. Did you? Yeah. On on. Uh, in Salisbury, and I, I, my, my wife just decided at the last minute to uh, not go out, and she said, "Off, oh, you know that gig you want to go and see if you want to go up," and um, and it was, I remember that it was a Friday night as yeah. well, and it was pissing rain, it was horrible, and I just said, "Right, I've never seen Joel in Turner yeah. before." You should have, you should have called me. I would have gone. Would you? I would have gone. I, did, I didn't think you'd be around. Yeah, no, I was, well, I was here. Crap. I was probably working. I was probably working on the show. Homer. Yeah, uh, if you call th- me, I would have gone. I know. I didn't even think you'd be here, and um, so I got in the car at 
must have been like 8.30. Uh-huh. And it's like 40 minutes or something away. Maybe a little bit earlier I left. And when I got there, um, he'd already started. So I probably missed about three or four songs. And um place probably holds about 200, two or 300. And yeah. it's only half full. Wow. Yeah. And um, you know who was there? The guy at Glenn Hughes. No. Yeah. The, really? The lunatic. The yeah. lunatic was yeah. there? Oh, my God. And I, I look over and, I, I, of course, I... I was, I, it, was, was it keep away from Mike for oh, the rest yeah. of the night? Is that his name? Was <laughs> yeah. Mike? Okay. So I look over and the guy, Mike, um, it, uh, we'll, we'll backtrack a little bit, right? He, he was at the Glenn Hughes show and he was sitting next to us and thank God he moved, but... He was. He, he said he had all these bootlegs on his phone, and he was showing us. And like, and, and he was like, "Oh my God! Like this guy, we need to get away from this guy." You know, he's he's yeah. a couple of sandwiches short of a picnic, and um, you know, and uh, when he, when Glenn Hughes was on, he kept moving around closer to the stage, and you know, the hands would be going, and, yeah, and like so, Joe Lynn Turner. I think it was Perfect Stranger Strangers. He sang. And I look over, and I didn't see him, right? I uh-huh. look over, and here he is standing up behind the, this four four or five guys, and he is losing his shit, <laughs> losing his mind, right? And they kept looking behind at him, like, who the fuck is this weirdo right now? He was on his own again, uh-huh. right? Uh, but he kept losing it. And, and then, of course, um, like, what, what did Joe play? I think he played... Um, Rising Force off the Malmsteen album, uh-huh. the, the first song. Really? Lost it. And and of course he did he did Long Live Rock and Roll. It was it was a weird set because he, he did some covers. Now he did Long Live Rock and Roll from Dio, right? Yeah. And and then Perfect Strangers. Now he probably sang them with Purple when he did the um what's that album he did? Oh Jesus. He did a purple album in the late nineties that I really like. And um I can see the cover in my head now and I can't think of the name. But I'm sure when he went on tour with Deep Purple, yeah. he probably had to sing all probably, these songs. Yeah, yeah. But it was weird just seeing him sing uh-huh. the songs with his solo band and thinking, why why aren't you doing right. the songs you sang with Rainbow or the song, you know, the yeah. songs you did with more songs with Malmsteen? But of course, Mike fucking lost it. And I was, I was laughing. <laughs> I, I looked over and I was like, oh my God, just don't come near me. Uh-huh. <laughs> But, um, I wonder if he went to the Bull Run show too. Oh, he probably did. That was like yeah, the, wasn't that the, the night before? The night before. Two yeah, he probably before, he yeah. probably did. And um, so obviously the weather doesn't deter this guy. Yeah. yeah. So Joel and Turner sounded phenomenal. Yeah. Now, uh, did he play like um, like I Surrender? He must have. He, I think he did that before I got in. Well, I would be surprised he led off with that though. Yeah. I, mean, um, I think that'd be like a. Either what Stone Cold or oh that is an encore. Um, what did he oh, encore? Street of Dreams. He did Street of Dreams. He encored with. Well, he ended the set with um, with Rising Force. He did Dreaming from the the Malmsteen album as well, mm. and uh, he had a fucking killer band. I don't know who the guitar player was. He just nailed everything. Yeah, nailed it. No, nailed the whole lot. Um, but he sounded phenomenal. I think he said on stage and all, he's sixty six years old. Yeah. And uh, brilliant. Just, you know, you, one of these last minute gigs you go and you can take it off now. I can say I saw Joel and Turner sing and uh, he still sounds phenomenal. I don't know how some of these guys can still do it and he's one of them. I don't know how he does it. I, I'm nearly sure I heard him say uh, he's going out with Dio Disciples later this year. Really? Yeah. Wow. Um, now, whether 
you know, I don't know how many shows he's doing or ah. if it might be just a one, one yeah. off or something like that. But, hmm. you know, that'd be interesting. Yeah. But his, the version of Long Live Rock and Roll he did was brilliant. I think that was the last song. But, um, yeah, just one of these last minute gigs that was brilliant. Yeah. Nice. You know, brilliant. Anyways, why don't we, uh, after a little bit of discussion here, why don't we just dive into the great interview you did with John Karabi? Yeah. Awesome. John Karabi speaking. John, hi, it's Richie here from Focus on Metal. How are you? I'm all right, buddy. How you doing? So where are you at home? Yeah, yeah, I'm in Nashville right now, and um, just kind of hanging out for a couple more days. And Wednesday, I head to New York with the Daisies, and we um, we get ready for the next next uh, onslaught for the uh, Live and Louder um, record that just. Actually, came out today. So. Yes, yeah, today. How do, how, how do you feel when a new album comes out? Are you nervous, excited? Well, how do you normally feel? You know, and honestly, not to sound um, not to sound weird or anything. Like I, I don't. I really don't think about it. You know, I think that's one of the things. Like some people go, you know, you're you're optimistic or you're pessimistic or you know. Um, I've been accused of being both, um, you know, and I just now I, I think with age, you know, and, and let's face it, I've done, you know, nine or 10 records or something like that. Um, you know, <laughs> and there was a lot of hype with, with some of them and it didn't quite work out the way that we thought it would, you know what I mean? So I tend to, I tend to consider myself, Pessimistically optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> I like that answer. <laughs> yeah, it's it, you know, I, I, I honestly, it, you know, 
there's so many moving parts, um, you know, for lack of a better term, there's so many moving parts in the music industry with, uh, um, you know, so I used to get so like pissed, you know, like when we did the Motley record and, you know, when we did like all of them, the scream Motley union. And it's just like, you can only control the thing. I can only control the things that I can control. That's the writing, the recording, the actual vocal performance, you know, that kind of thing. And then when you turn the record into a record label, you just, you know, there's, like I said, so many moving parts and so many people behind the scenes working that record that you just got to kind of go, whatever happens is going to happen. It, you know, and there's a little bit of luck too, you know, it's like, hopefully the universe lines up for the band or me as a solo artist or whatever I'm doing. And it lines up and people buy into the product that you throw out there. You know, if not, you just kind of move on and, and keep your fingers crossed for the next one. Yeah. No, we had Doug on when the album, when the studio album came out, make some noise. And, um, he's been in the band a while now, other than he's playing, what, what, what has he really added to the band? Um, you know, it's, it's weird. I, I kind of, you know, I kind of get along with everybody. I think, um, I'm kind of even killed. I don't really get angry, angry about things and I don't get like overly excited about things too. I'm kind of, again, I'm, I'm just kind of this steady thing, you know? So I tend to get along with just about everybody, but I've known Doug God since he was 16 or 17 years old. And I mean, his playing is a given the guys, you know, he's a freak on guitar. Um, but I, you know, I, 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 I tend to look at people, you know, a little deeper than, you know, just their talent, you know, and the thing that I, I really admire about Doug is he, he's genuinely a good dude. You know what I mean? He's, um, he's, um, you know, every time I see him, he's always asking, how's your wife? How's your kids? You know, like with this, this kind of thing. So, he, you know, he's got that thing going and, and then I watch him with his own family. Like his son and daughter have come out a couple of times on the road with us and he just dotes on them. You know what I mean? So he's, he's a good dad. He's, he's just a good dude. You know what I mean? And, um, you know, I think, uh, not that Richard wasn't, you know, Richard's a great guy too. You know what I mean? But I, I just think, you know, Doug's kind of a bit of a comedian. Um, he's, he's a funny guy. He's, uh, you know, he's, uh, but he's, he's, he's a good guy. You know what I mean? So not, it's not just his playing. Like I have to be able to get along with people. Um, I'm too old to babysit. I'm too old to, you know, you know what I mean? I've been doing this too long. Like if it ain't fun or I don't get along with somebody, I just can't do it. So. Yeah. So, so what's your take on this whole super group tag that you see all these bands getting like it's not like it's no secret like you know you've been in big bands and doug has been in big bands and and you know brian has played with you know white snake and he's been in other bands as well well what's your take on that tag at all is that something like that you just don't you completely ignore or how, how do you feel yeah we that? don't honestly we don't pay much attention to it like we're going to go out on the road. We're going to rehearse just like any other band would, whether it was a super group or a new group, we're going to rehearse and we're going to make mistakes and we're going to pick it apart. And, 
you know, we're going to do our homework and, and, you know, the, the, the thing that's just, you know, different about this band is the fact that everybody has been in bigger bands. Um, um, you know, but in all honesty, if you if you want to get technical about it, all those bands that we came from, nobody gives a shit about them anyway. You know what I mean? Like the industry people, um, you know, just because we were in those bands doesn't guarantee us radio airplay. It doesn't, you know, there is no MTV anymore. Um, you know, the fans care about us. You know, it like Doug Aldridge has got fans, so they're going to come just out of curiosity and check it out the band doesn't deliver doesn't mean shit. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, for us, it's just, you know, like I said, I've known Doug since he was 16 or 17 years old back in Philadelphia. This is the first time we've ever played together, but we've kind of watched each other's career all through the years. And, you know, he was always like a guy that I was like, Oh man, it'd be kind of cool to do something with Doug. Um, same with Marco, same with Brian. Um, and, you know, David, I, uh, you know, I haven't known David as long, but he's a great dude, you know? So for us, it's just, we just look at it as, you know, five really good friends. We all have the same kind of, for lack of a better term, fucked up, person, <laughs> fucked up <laughs> sense of humor. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of silly, like some of the shit that we say and do, you know, backstage and, um, and, um, you know, we love the same music. We're, we're all cut from the same cloth and the same classic seventies rock and roll stuff, you know? So it's just, you know, for us, it's just like kind of a boys club, you know, bunch, like I said, bunch of friends just out having a good time. And the one thing that we can all say is, you know, better than anybody, the music industry is so weird anymore that, um, without sounding kooky or, you know, whatever, we're just grateful to the fact that we're still here 30, 35 years later, still playing music and having a good time. Yeah. So uh, we don't really think about the tags or, you know, anybody can call us whatever they want. Just don't call us late for dinner. <laughs> you know what I mean? We're <laughs> like, we're, we're, we're just happy to be here. Yeah. The, the other thing I, as well, John, and I think, it really separates you guys from some of the other projects and stuff. You've toured the shit out of this album. You've been to Europe. You've been all over America. You, you played a gig in, in Dublin. Like, you can probably tell I'm Irish. And a couple of my friends went to it, and they said it was amazing. So, like, Really? You're Irish? Yeah. I would have totally thought you were, like, from New Jersey or something. Yeah, I right. about it a <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> but, um, yeah, like, you've, you've toured the shit out of the album.
You know, it's a bit, it's funny. You know, it's 2017, but the thing that I love about this band is pretty much everything we do. If you really think about it and peel, peel the layers back on the onion here, like it's really kind of, it's really kind of set up very much like a seventies band, like, you know, late sixties, seventies kind of a thing, you know, like we don't first two records we did, we did two records and a world tour within a year and changed a member and a record label, like all that within a year. And, and then we were right back on the road again. Um, when we do our records, we're getting ready to do another one at the end of this year, again, with Marty Fredrickson. Um, you know, we get together, get into a room together and we all start writing and everybody it's odd, you know, um, I know nowadays with the whole pro tools and email people can do records from, you know, one guy can be in like Guam and the other guy can be in New York city. And, you know, we, we do it together. We're in a room and we write and then we go right in and we track, um, both records we've done, both studio records we've done it up to this point. We literally wrote, recorded, mixed and mastered them in a month. Wow. Yeah, it's we don't take a lot of time and then we're right back on the road again. And it's, you know, obviously now, like I was saying earlier, when I said big people don't give a shit about, you know, it's I'm just saying, like, the fans love the band. Um, the fans are really jumping on board. And I can see this thing is really picking up a lot of momentum. But we don't have the MTV thing. We don't have a. a ton of support from radio, especially in America. Um, you know, you ask most radio DJs, most, not all, who do the dead daisies are? And they'll shrug and go, oh, I don't, I don't know, but have you checked out this new YouTube record? You know what I mean? It's, yeah. You know, we, we don't have that, that machine like that was around in the eighties. So it's very much like sixties or seventies. It's like, do a record, do it. You know, we don't waste a lot of time doing it. We're, we're like, you know, a month, five weeks max. We do that. We're right back out on the road again. We're opening for anybody that'll let us play with them. We're out doing shows constantly and it's all word of mouth. Yeah. So, and you, you, that's kind of like old Aerosmith and the stones and Zeppelin and all that shit. You know what I mean? It was all word of mouth and we're, I, I kind of dig it. Yeah, you, you mentioned there, John, that like you're, you're writing and recording and doing the albums within a month. And how much of a perfectionist are you when it comes to writing them? Because you're doing it so fast. Do you, do you find it easy to let songs go, or how does that work with you now? Yeah, I mean, you kind of have to. And but you know the thing though, too. Like I've kind of realized, I've done some songs. I've got songs here that I wrote and recorded them. And then sat back and I evaluated them and listened to them. And I was like, nah, there's something missing. And then you go back and you rewrite it and you re-record it and you redo it with, you know, different members playing. And then you record it again. And I've got songs here that I've literally rewrote and re-recorded 10 times because I thought it could be better. Um, and I think most artists can kind of be their own worst enemy. Anything could be better. I could take Stairway to Heaven and make it a better song. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Any or, or Zeppelin could, if you know, but you just, I, I find that like my, usually my initial gut reaction is usually the right, the, just the right one. Um, you know, and, and you, you look at like, uh, um, I mean, if you historically, you look back at, you know, stairway to heaven. Like there's a, I have, I have this thing that they, they did for the 20th anniversary or 25th anniversary of that song. And there's a little story in there and it says, you know, Jimmy came in with a riff, John Paul Jones jumped right on it. John Bonham, they were working on the music. Robert was sitting in the corner and he was just kind of listening to them put the music together. And while he was listening to that, he was just sitting there humming a melody to what they were doing. And he just started writing lyrics and then he got up and sang it. They wrote that song in like a day. <laughs> and they didn't sit there and go, well, you know, it could be, could be better. You know what I mean? They just kind of went with their gut reaction. The Beatles, you look, they're like, they would go into the studio and do an entire fucking record in 24 hours. Yeah. They just kind of went with their gut reaction. They wrote a song, they brought it in, showed it to everybody. Everybody else put their two cents in. And then they tracked it, done, move on to the next one. And I think you kind of get, you, I don't know, man. It's just, I, like, uh, there's something to be said about your initial gut reaction on anything, whether it's writing something, you know, I'm sure even as a writer or interviewer, you could write something up and then walk away from it and come back and go, eh, I think I, let me, let me tweak this a little bit. It's not the initial you know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm sure even Van Gogh with his starry nights could have went, ah, it's a little too much blue. Let me add some, <laughs> let me add some red. You know what I mean? It's, uh, you know, there's, there's something to be said about the gut reaction that you have in a creative sense. And so I, I think, you know, Richard Ford has said at one time, he goes, I think that's one of the things that makes the dead daisies record so cool is that they're honest. You know what I mean? They are what they are. We did them. We didn't, we didn't have the luxury of taking, you know, six months or a year to record or write. We just kind of wrote and recorded them and put them out there. And so far, man, so good. Like why change the format? You know what I mean? Yeah. Now, when did the idea come up of the live, of doing a live record? Was that something that, that was like when you were doing the studio album, you even discussed, look, we're doing so many shows, we'll bring out a live album? No, you know, it, it, it was a combination of a few things, to be honest with you. I think, um, you know, like I, I had said that we did, we did the Revolution record. We went on tour and like uh, almost immediately, you know, we were, God, we went all over the world from Russia to you know, North Carolina, we were like everywhere, you know, then Richard and Dizzy kind of, they got the call to go back with Guns N' Roses. And, you know, so there was a, there was a few things, you know, they left, we changed guitar players. Then our management wasn't real happy with the distribution label that we had. So we, we changed them. We had a, you know, new record deal. So we could have continued touring on the revolution record, but everybody was kind of on the same page and said, you know what? We've got a new guitar player, new label. Let's just go in and do a new record. 
and we immediately went in and started working on Make Some Noise. And then we went right back out on the road again. Now, every show that we've done since I've been in the band, the minute we get done playing, you know, we literally will walk off stage, dry off, and just walk as we're drying off, as we're walking right to the merch area to sit down and, and just meet as many fans as we can, sign some things, you know, give them a poster, some pick, guitar picks, whatever. We do our thing. And uh, a lot of the fans were saying to us, man, you know, I had the Revolution record, or I had to make some noise record, but God, after seeing you guys, man, you, you guys are so much better than the record live. Are you ever going to do a DVD? Are you ever going to do a live album? And, and we heard it. We got emails, management, everybody. And we just kind of sat there and we thought about it. And, you know, so it was a combination of giving the fans something that they wanted, but also I think giving the band a little bit more of a break instead of normally we probably would have gone into the studio this January and started working on a record. So I think it was just management's way of a giving the fans what they were asking for and be giving the band just a little bit more time to kind of collect our thoughts and not have to worry about going right back into the studio again and doing a third record in like a year and a half. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was this combination of everything. So they just said, look, we're going to go out on tour. We're going to support this live and louder thing. We're going to do some festivals. We, we've, we've been asked to do a bunch of festivals and different things like that. So we're going to go out, we're going to tour it. We're going to go to a new couple of new places like Japan and South America to make our statement. And then we're going to come right back and, and go into the studio and start working on a new record for a 2018 release. And everybody's stoked about it. God, the reviews have been stupid on the record. It's like, you know, I, I literally talked to, uh, I did like three hours and four hours of interviews last night in Australia and different places around the world and everybody across the board is it's kind of blowing me away a little bit they're like dude this is the best live record i've heard in 20 years or ever and, and i'm like wow that you know it's, it's you know it's pretty cool so do this and then it just kind of gives us a couple of extra months to really come into the studio with some great ideas for the next record all right
Did you have to go in um, and maybe fix anything on any of the live performances, even though you'd like you, they're all called from a lot of different shows? No, you know, honestly, I, I, that's the one thing. I know a lot of people don't believe it, but, you know, when you have somebody of the caliber of David, Marco, Brian Tishy, and Doug Aldridge, those guys are like, pardon my French, they're like fucking machines. Yeah. Like we, you know, we go into the studio and like for this next upcoming tour, we're going to rehearse from May 24th to like May 3rd, May 29th. We'll rehearse five or six days. Then we'll go over to Germany, rehearse a couple more days, make sure all the gear is working. And then we're going to hit the road. And by the time we get to the road, we'll, we'll probably, you know, couple shows in, everybody just starts clicking and it just starts working. And, you know, the w one thing I, I can say is we, we did have the luxury of being able to record like, you know, I, I think it was like six or eight shows, 10 shows, something like that. We recorded them. Our sound guy, Tommy, he knows the band. Well, he's been touring with us every tour since the beginning. So he had all the cues and everything lined up. He knew what he was doing. And then Doug, on Doug's behalf, Doug went in and when he got, when we got done the tour, he went home with all the files and he literally sat and listened to every show and he went, well, you know, okay, long way to go is really great here. You know, these are, you know what I mean? So he, he kind of picked the versions where everybody was singing good, playing good. You know, it, it was awesome. And we, we got the, you know, the, the 12 or 16 songs or whatever it is that's on the record. He found the best versions of each song. And, uh, and then we gave him to Anthony Fox and said, Anthony, you know, do your magic. Anthony's a great mixer producer. Um, he does a, a lot of stuff with Marty Fredrickson. He's done Aerosmith live and night Ranger live and like all these great live albums. So we just gave it to him and said, do your thing, dude. And he did it. And, he mixed it and did an amazing job and that's it there's no touch-ups on this record at all fantastic fantastic that's great to hear actually you know what I, I i gotta be honest with you i i did this record with the daisies and oddly enough i have another live record coming out later in the year in like september with my solo band god it's probably been at the record label now for a year and a half um but i was out doing the 20th anniversary shows of the Motley record, hmm. um, you know, 2014 and, and, uh, 15. And, you know, and I, and then I started getting so busy with the daisies. I'm like, ah, you know, I don't know if I'm going to have any time to do this, you know, anymore. So what I did is I recorded it and I, I literally did one show, uh, with my solo band, which I'm very proud of. My son is my drummer, but, we did one show here in Nashville. Um, it's called 94 live one night in Nashville. And it was the same thing. We did one show, gave everybody a heads up. They went home, they practiced their parts. And we, we went, walked into this club and we played, we had a great crowd and we did the whole record in its entirety. And, you know, for me, like my favorite live record, I think one of my favorite live records ever is Aerosmith live bootleg. Hmm. there's you know it, you can i don't know it's just there's not no overdubs if what you're hearing is what they sounded like on that given night and 
you know, so we did the same thing with the daisies and I did the same thing with my solo record. I'm like, fuck it. If there's a mistake, leave it. I don't give a shit. Like that's, that's what we sounded like on that night. And it sounds awesome. Yeah. Now, there was a couple of pictures out a little while ago, John, of um, you were in the studio with Mick Mars working on his solo album. Um, are you done with him mm-hmm. on that or do you still have to finish that with him? No, you know, honestly, there, there's, you, you know, I was, I was kind of a little worried about this. You know, when Mick put those two songs out that I did with him, everybody was like, oh, yeah, full record. Mick Mars and Karabi are working together. We wanted to. We wanted to work together. I would love to work with Mick. And I know Mick asked me to, you know, help him. Um, the problem of it was is he asked me, and then he went on that last tour with Motley. I was out doing my solo thing, which I have a record deal. And, you know, I'm contractually obligated to do certain things on my solo career. Well, then I wound up getting the Dead Daisies gig. Yeah. And this thing started taking off, you know, well, then Mick got done the tour like a year and a half later, two years later. And he said, Hey, you know, can you help me with this record? And I did the two songs, but then he was like, he was itching to go. And I'm like, dude, well, I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready to go into the studio and do make, we were getting ready to do the make some noise thing. And I said, you know, Mick, I think this record for you, your solo record is really important. I don't want to hold you up. I don't want you to sit around and wait for me. You know what I mean? But I just don't know when I'm going to have enough time to just dedicate 100% of my time to this. You know what I mean? I I just, I don't know. And so it was a mutual thing. We said, all right, cool, man. It was great working with you again, you know, and, and, and we left it open. Like, Hey, if, if I can help you in any capacity at all, you know, I mean, I would play bass guitar for Mick Mars. I don't care. Like, I just want that guy to have the most amazing record ever. And I'm not in it for the money. Like, I just want Mick to succeed and make his own path away from Motley. And, um, you know, I just didn't know if I was going to have the time. And in all fairness, like, I think, like, for me to do something with Mick, I would have literally, it would have been him and I getting together like every day for, you know, stockpiling material and sorting through things and writing melodies and lyrics. And, you know, I just didn't know if I was going to have the time. And, and he, he agreed. He was like, well, I, I, I want to get going. I, I just can't wait. And I'm like, oh, I totally understand. Awesome. So I'm as curious as everybody else. I know he's in the studio and he's been laying some stuff down. I'm curious to hear what it's going to sound like. Yeah, I think a lot of people are as well, John. I think he's he's underappreciated as a guitar player. Now, you've played with him now. You know how good he is. Yes, and, you know, the thing for me is I would love nothing more than to have Mick do, you know, but I can't tell him what to do. He's got to do his own thing. But for me, like, I was really kind of, I was really kind of hoping, you know, and, I, and we'll see. I don't know what he's doing. I don't know what it's going to sound like. Um, but um, I would love Mick to do something that was reminiscent of Mountain, like just big, heavy blues riffs mm-hmm. with Mick Mars soloing on top of it. I think it would be insane, um, you know, but he's he's got to do what he's feeling, you know what I mean? And, and um, you know, I'm just I'm I'm as curious as the next person. 
Yeah. Not, other than the two songs that I've done, I haven't heard any of the other stuff that he's done okay. or that he's doing. Yeah. Just a, just a couple of quick questions before I leave you go, John. Um, the Union Band, has, has any of the festivals ever offered to get the band back together or maybe do the, any one-off shows? You know what? It's <laughs> I'm, I'm beginning to think that, um, you know, my manager laughed at me one time. He goes, he goes, I don't know what the deal is, but he said, every record that you've ever done, whether it was Scream, even the Motley record, uh, Union, he goes, it's the weirdest thing. Like when those records were out, like when I was in it, like, you know, as it was happening, he goes, every record you've ever done, like it wasn't like a lot of people paying attention to what you were doing then, but all of those records later have become like these cool cult underground things, you know? And it's uh, like, it's, it's hilarious to me, like how many people ask about a scream reunion or now even the fans that even fans that hated me being in Motley at the time are now going, well, it'd be really cool to see what you and Mick and Nikki could do now. And it's the same for union. I just realized, well, I didn't, Bruce and I didn't even know it, but there, there's a German company that literally bought the rights to the first two records and boxed them up and made a box set. So now there's all these people going, you know, I'd love a union reunion and, you know, and uh, God, you guys were such a great band and da, 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 and I'm just sitting there going, where were you 20 years ago? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just, it's funny, but we have been asked, um, I know the Monsters of Rock Cruises, they talked to us about a possible off show on their cruise. Um, you know, the problem of it is, is like, again, um, we never split up. We never had a beef. There was never any issues amongst the members of the band. It was just one of those things where, you know, you got to remember too, back in, you know, like the late nineties, early two thousands, bands weren't making money touring. They were making their money by selling records. And it's kind of reversed now. Like you don't really make your money selling records. Your records are your calling card to promote the tour and you make the money on the tour and the merch and all that other stuff. So back then it was weird. Like we were doing, you know, we were playing festivals and we were doing clubs, you know, for, you know, 1,000, 1,500, 2,000 people, and we were doing great business, but it wasn't translating into record sales. We couldn't get arrested. So Bruce got the call to join Grand Funk Railroad. I got a call to join Rat. And then Brent and Jamie, oddly enough, they joined Vince Neal's solo band. And we just kind of, you know, we did a few shows, after here and there, like we'd go to Argentina, we'd go to Scandinavia and do some shows. And, and then, you know, it just kind of stopped. It just kind of stopped. Yeah. But, um, you know, we just kind of did other things to make a living. We, we just weren't making any money. We were actually losing money and it was, we're like, man, we can't continue to do this. Like we've all got families to support and, you know, whatever. And, so we did like we did other things and now we've been talking like, Hey, 
you know, I, you know, I wouldn't be against if we had like, you know, a month or two off, like, let's go out and do some union shows. Like we've all talked about it, but it's really trying to organize, you know, you got to remember like Bruce is still doing grand funk and he does solo records and kiss conventions and he's always busy. I've got my solo career and the dead daisies. Brent was playing with slash. Now I think he's playing with, uh, Whitford St. Holmes and the guess who, and then Jamie's been doing things and sessions and, Jamie just was out with uh, Roger Daltrey doing the the you know the Tommy record by the Who in its entirety. Yeah. So you know it's it's like we would love to do it, but we it's just trying to you know block out a little <clears throat> a little time where we could actually rehearse, br- blow the dust off of some of these old songs, and get back out and do it again. But you know my manager laughs. He goes, "Man, I don't know your timing isn't." your timing is weird, man. He goes, I don't know if you're just way ahead of the curve (laughs) or you've just got the worst timing on earth because he goes, for some reason, your records, when they come out, nobody gives a shit about them. Then 20 years later, they become these classic cult records, you know? So John, I don't know what the deal is. You're still doing it. So you're obviously doing something right. Yeah. Either that, or I've got the entire world completely snowballed into thinking that I'm some sort of a musician. (laughs) morning light lands on the face another day begins in her eyes there's a story of a lover who's been disappointed once again Final question. You did mention your solo um, career. There is. Is there any any update on that album? Are you doing another one for Rat Pack? On the on the well, the, I I do have the live record. Yeah. And I have some material stockpiled. And you know, I was just uh, honestly, I was just working with uh, I was just working with Marty the other day. Marty Fredrickson, him and I were just kind of going through a few things, and I've got some things that I've written that you know, we were, we were listening to, like, we were kind of going through all my ideas and he goes, yeah, that would be a great one for the daisies. And then I played him one. He goes, yeah, I don't know if that one's right for the daisies, but for your solo record, it'd be great. 
You know what I mean? So I've got some ideas. I haven't really started like really digging in with my band and doing stuff because again, I've just been so freaking busy, but hopefully <laughs> in 2018, once we're done this record, uh, the daisies are doing a record at the end of this year. If I have any time next year, I would like to really hunker down and start working on some material and recording, getting some, some tracks laid down for my solo album. Excellent. Excellent. Well, it's great to see you're still busy, John. You know, it's, um, I, I, I from your mouth to God's ears, buddy. Yeah. And I, I'll be honest with you. I didn't ask you one Motley Crue question and I absolutely love that album by the way, but they, well, you know what? And listen, here's, I'll, I'll, let's be honest. It's 1130. My next interview isn't until one thirty. So if you got any more questions you want to ask, I'm an open book, dude. So no, I'm, I'm, co- I'm cool. Actually, I got to go back to work. Ah, <laughs> uh, so yeah, this, so. this is not good. So you're in Dublin, you said? No, no, I'm in. I'm just outside of Boston, but I li- I'm from Ireland. I lived there for uh, for like 39 years. Ah, uh, you know what? I'd been I'd been to Belfast a couple times, and I'm, I'd been to. I Dublin. saw you. I saw you in Belfast with Rat in 2007, I believe. Yes. Yeah. It was uh, it was qu- quite an interesting show, and uh, but I got to tell you, like the, I one of the greatest things. When I was in Dublin, I'll be very quick so that you can get back to work. I, I, I tell all my friends, I go, Ireland is fucking out of control. It's like it, it, everybody's so jolly and great and all this other shit. I go, but there is some truth to the thing that like God invented whiskey to keep the Irish from ruling the world. But um, <laughs> it, I go, I, the, the people were a blast. And I said, the, the, so the one promoter, this guy, Kieran, brought me over to do an acoustic show. And then afterwards, I went to the, the pub where they have this statue of Phil out, oh, out in front of the... Uh, yeah, I know. McGonagall's. Uh, it's just off Graffiti yeah. Street. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I go in this thing, and the promoter took me out for cocktails after the show. And he had these two girls with him, two redheads. And I said, I told my friends, I go, you know, I wanted to smoke a cigarette. So they said, not in the club. You have to go outside. So I went outside and the promoter said to the girls, go outside with him, make sure he's okay. So, you know, I have these two girls outside. We're, we're, we're talking. And this little old man, red nose, he's got a pint of Guinness and he's got a whiskey, Jameson, whatever. And he's got his whiskey and he walks by me and he looks at me and then he looks at the two girls now one was like a natural redhead and the other one was like flaming red hair out of a bottle anyway so he looks at the two girls and he keeps walking then he stops and he turns around and he comes back and he goes hey lad you know you know what they say about redheads don't you and i'm like uh no couldn't no he goes uh what's the difference between a redhead and a terrorist and i go um I have no clue. He goes, you can eventually negotiate with a terrorist. You've been warned. (laughs) And he walked away. And I go, that may be the greatest fucking words of wisdom I've ever heard. Yeah. Because every redhead I've ever been with has been insanely insane. (laughs) Did you, you, here, I have to ask you, did you get a decent point to Guinness over there? Yes, I did. It was, it was awesome. Um, I went to, I went to, I went there and I said, all right, not a huge drinker, but I go, I'm, I'm going in. I want a Guinness and a good Irish whiskey. 
and I don't know what they got me. I have no idea what they got me, but we went in and, and I sat there and I tossed back a few Guinness and a few whiskeys and I went home and I slept like a baby. Good. Good stuff. So it was awesome. Excellent. When we had Doug on, I think you were, you were just on the way over there, I think on the tour. And I was telling him, you know, you have to go to this pub and you got to go to this pub. And, and of course, Brian Tishy was putting up, you know, where should I go in Dublin on his Facebook page? And I was like, go here and go here. And, but I'm, I'm sure you found your way around. No, you obviously found your way around. No problem. I tend to find uh, like, I'll, I'll go, you know what, here, this is my MO. Uh, I'll check into the hotel. I'll scope it out. You got a hotel bar? Yes. Do you have Guinness? Yes. Okay, good. Um, I won't most cases because I know how I am when I drink and I don't have any breaks. If I have one, I'm having 10 of everything. (laughs) And so I'm like, if I'm drinking, I'm staying at the hotel because I don't need a cab. I don't need a car. I don't need to do anything. I don't need to walk. All I need to do is roll off of this seat into the elevator back to my room. I'm good. So I'm not, I, I, you know, unfortunately I don't, I don't really get out much and, and wander and check out the sites, but, um, you know, I, I, that, that night I was like, well, I wanted to see that statue of Phil and, and, um, you know, just taking a, a little Dublin. I had, I had never been there before. So I went and it was a great experience. It was awesome. Excellent. Well, I'm glad you had a good time, John. It's been a pleasure talking to you. All right, buddy. You too. Yeah. So have, have a good rest of the day. All right, and take care of yourself. Hope the tour goes really well for you. All right, buddy. Cheers. All right, John. Take care. Bye. All right, so there you go, Richie's interview with uh, John Karabi. Hopefully that's enlightening for everybody, and uh, obviously support that band both live as well as going out and picking up their music. Great stuff, and uh, I think they did a lot of work, and they do have a killer, killer bonus edition of that new live CD with with pictures and... uh, vinyl and the whole works in there too really nice stuff i resisted getting that stuck with the cd dvd this time but you resisted <laughs> i resisted it's not, it's not like you i know but <laughs> hey but uh, anyways uh that's uh that's about it for this week hope you enjoyed this and uh not sure what we got in store next week uh still working on that but uh it might be an interview with somebody who's somewhat sort of kind of connected to iron maiden uh, we'll see how that runs yep but uh no promises on that yet. Yeah, just never know. But uh, in the meantime, you can always keep up with us at focusonmetal.net, focusonmetal.blogspot.com. You can uh, hit up Richie on Facebook. He's on there all the time doing some great posts as well as uh, hitting me up on Twitter. But uh, for now, this week, stick a fork in it. This puppy is done. So for, uh, for myself and me, that would be Richie. <laughs> <laughs> Have yourselves a great Metal Week. And until we talk to you again next week. Remember, focus on metal. Everything else is insignificant. Still here? It's over. Go home.